Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In this episode, I got a chance to speak with Jesse Lynn McMains. Jesse is a cross-genre writer, punk poet, small press publisher, and spoken word performer. Their latest work includes Self-Portrait with Ghosts and Trains from Hello America Stereo Cassette and Wisconsin Death Trip from Bone and Ink Press. In this episode, we talk about Riot Girl music, The Matrix, what the difference is between folk and country music is, payphones, and so much more. I hope you enjoy the show. So, Adam sent me your tape, Self-Portrait with Ghosts and Trains. How'd you get into that? Um, Into doing the tape, or? Yeah. Um, Did you, like, approach him, or, like, how'd you two get into it? Yeah, I, I approached him because I had I had done some tracks for um you know the um a couple of the seasonal um compilations that Hello America has done, mm-hmm. and then um this spring I ended up um this book that um of mine the loneliest show on earth that was published last year it got like um taken out of print by the publisher because it wasn't selling well enough and some other reasons and like and this funk about that and you know decided oh maybe make an album and I just emailed him and was like hey um you know if you would be down with me doing the label then let's do this so that's pretty cool I like it so you are much better at doing reading voice than I do. I have, I had to record one with him. Not had, like it's not like he was twisting my arm, but <laughs> <laughs> what happened is my book is too long, so I had to do an abridged version, and I think I had to record it like 15 times because I just keep like, I stutter for some reason when I have to like read something and record it. Yeah, I get that. I have, I have, I've done a lot of live poetry readings, um, you know, over the past like six years. So I feel like I'm, you know, kind of in the practice from, from that. And, but I did actually have a lot of tracks that I, that I re-recorded and, you know, it was, a it was a funny thing where, you know, obviously there is a lot of mentions of trains in there and, uh, you know, hence the title. Mm-hmm. And I found that I kept stumbling over the word railroad. Like <laughs> I just couldn't say it in recordings. It would come out like, Rrr. and <laughs> I was trying to do punch-ins. It sounded really strange because it would be like, so I was walking along the railroad and, you know, <laughs> there were plenty of tracks I had to just completely scrap and start over because of that one word. Uh, with me, honestly, it's actually Chicago. I just, like, could not say it without, like, kind of, like, doing the, like, a noise, almost, if you could hear that. It was so annoying. And the actual book is called The Only Living Girl in Chicago. Yeah, (laughs) I I actually... so much. I I definitely want to read it because I, yeah, being someone who spent, has, you know, lived there and spent a lot of time there, I, when I saw about your book on, on, um, Instagram the other day. I, That's pretty rad. I'm definitely interested in it. So. I'm looking at Goodreads right now, uh, The Loneliest Show on Earth, 
it's a, it was a bottle cap one. Yep. My book was a bottle cap one. That was like one of my first books that happened like, I don't know, however many years ago, maybe seven. I'm out of print too. We're fellow exiles. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was only like not even a year and a half in print, but I guess they've decided, they told me that they also are not doing any, they're only doing like chapbook style from now on. They're not doing any perfect bound. Mm-hmm. And mine was longer, so it was perfect bound. But they said it, it's just, like, too expensive for them to print those anymore. Yeah. So I guess that was part of the factor with that one. Yeah, I think they're, but, like, hand-making it. That's why I had yeah, they are. as, like, a part one and part two chat book. But then for some reason they decided to combine it. And then, psh, who knows? Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, Exiles. Cheers to that, right? <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> So, what was the last song you're listening to? Um, I was actually. <laughs> this is maybe a little embarrassing, but I was listening this morning to the Joan Osborne cover of Bob Dylan's "Man in the Long Black Coat." <laughs> no, that's pretty rad. I like it. Um, I actually, for some reason, I've always liked her cover better than the original because the like the way she sings that song. Something about her vocal quality just makes it actually, I think, like spookier than the original. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why I, that's why I'm into that one. And I, for some reason, had it stuck in my head today and decided to listen to it. I did. I was just listening to, you know, I'm not sure actually if you count a song that was in a movie trailer. Because mm. like, I was just watching the new trailer for the Matrix movie that's coming out this winter. And that whole thing was Go Ask Alice. Uh, oh. Jefferson Airplane I, one. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, actually, I heard that ad, like, my one of my kids was watching something on YouTube this morning. And that, I, that ad came on. <laughs> and so I actually heard that song this morning as well. Yeah. But, I can't decide how I feel about it. I'm hoping it's going to be a good movie. Yeah, I actually haven't seen the trailer. I just heard that song, so it must have been the same. Yeah. Have you seen the other Matrix movies? Yes. What are your feelings on them? I mean, you know, I I like them. I, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not against them, but I'm not a rabid fan. Um, <laughs> I think... Uh, you know, I mean, I think maybe I didn't see them until I think at, like quite a while after the first two had already come out. You know, I didn't see them in theaters or anything. Mm-hmm. And I think I was maybe a little wary because of like some of the really, you know, weird fans who are now like the whole, Incels you know, shit. yeah, the red pill crowd, even though they're totally misinterpreting what the real message of, you know, the the films are but still i was already a little bit like oh i don't know if i really want to get into this but when i watched them i gave them a chance and i was like oh okay i can see that you know there's a lot more to this than what some people are taking it as so so i do enjoy them yeah i think they're chill i rewatched them um i actually had covid earlier this year oh no actually i don't know time is gone for me March yeah. of 2020, that's when I had it. Oh, wow. 
But no, I rewatched them and everything, and I knew that they were making the new one, and I just can't get over, like, do you remember the fact that, like, to get in and out of the Matrix, they have to use payphones? Oh, wow. No, I totally forgot that. Yeah, so I'm just really confused of how they're going to do that now. Right, there there are no payphones, <laughs> hardly. I was at the mall the other day with my niece, and like there's like that kind of like area where payphones were, and she's like, "I wonder what that is," because like there is no payphone anymore. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, so I was like, one day, long time ago, there was a phone that you had to use. You had to put coins in, and <laughs> not if you were oh. cheap like me. I would do like oh, like yeah, the scam. Yeah, um, <laughs> and be like, hurry up, I need a ride home. Yeah, I remember. I've done that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a 90s kid, or? No, actually, um, 80s and 90s. I mean, I was born in 81, so. Hi, you Gen X. I'm just on that cusp. I'm, like, either the youngest Gen Xer or the oldest millennial, depending on how people cut it. But. That's chill. My sister is like your age and she's pretty like, oh, I'm Gen X and pretty obsessed with that shit. I I, I try to, you know, I, I mean, I think I, I would rather be Gen X just because there's such a stigma against millennials. Um, no, <laughs> but it's kind of funny because I'm, I mean, my, my husband is quite a bit older than I am. He's firmly Gen X. And I'm just like just on that that like tail end, you know, of of it. But um no with payphones though, I there's actually I was gonna say there's this gas station like up the street from me that has like the payphone box there. And on the back of it there's like this peeling sticker that says call anywhere in the world and it, you know it just like but then you go around to the front of it and like the phone has been ripped off the cord and the thing is just you know totally non-functional so it's kind of a sort of sad little monument to a lost era <laughs> see my question is like do you think gen z really understands what that shit is probably not I mean, I don't know. I I have a friend who's just about my age, um, like a slightly older, who worked at a who works at a library. And when she used to primarily be like shelving books, um, you know, uh, um, in the children's section, she had one time she said this like girl who was maybe about twelve at the time was in there asking. My, you know, and asked her where the the audio books were, and my friend says the books on tape, and the girl just looked at her and was like, "What's a tape?" <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like with you know cassettes and although they're seeing a comeback, but yeah, I saw still. Actually a lot of cassettes at Urban Outfitters. I was pretty shocked. What? That's wow. That seems yeah. odd. Yeah, I'm, like, seeing Kanye and stuff on tape, and I was like, what? Like, really? what are what? they doing? Especially because I don't think it's good quality like vinyl is. Right, it's not. I mean, yeah, it, it's cool with, like, like small punk labels and, you know, or, like, the spoken word thing or whatever, but, but it seems for, like, a major album cassette is a little... 
And are really that many people going to buy it? Because most people I know don't even have cassette players anymore. So that seems... Hunt one down just so I could listen to your tape and also so I could listen to my future tape. (laughs) I got one on Amazon. $10, everybody. It's not that expensive. Yeah, I got it a number of years ago because it also can like connect to USB and be plugged into a computer. So I was transferring a lot of like old demo tapes by like forgotten bands and even some stuff I recorded like in my, in my teens, like, so I could transfer it to MP3. (laughs) What kind of stuff did you record? Um, I did a lot of like, I mean, most of my solo recordings were kind of like just weird lo-fi, like, I mean, I don't know. Some of the stuff was more like, you know, sort of solo punk. Some of it was more like folk. Some of it was, you know, I, I was really, really into Sonic Youth when I started recording stuff. So I was trying to, you know, do like some noise. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Sonic Youth. Dig it. Did you ever get into like Riot Girl or anything? Or... Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I was super into all that. That's kind of how one of the ways I got into zines and that culture was through Riot Girl stuff. So it was quite concerning. One of the older episodes we did was with uh, another girl, and she was like your age. I know. Do you say girl or whatever at a certain age? I don't know when to stop. But no, I mean, she didn't know Riot Girl music. And I was just like, what the fuck? How do you not know that? <laughs> Like, loved punk rock and everything, but I was like, how'd you skip oh. over that? Okay, because I was going to say, if she wasn't into, like, punk or anything outside the mainstream, you might not know. But if you were, then it seems... I mean, because especially because, like... I mean, I think I heard about Riot Girl because I was into, you know, Nirvana. And then Kurt was friends with, you know, all the Olympia crowd and stuff. And so he would talk about them and, you know, so I feel like that was thing where people say that like Nirvana is more like a riot girl band than like a grunge band. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I I can, I can hear that a little bit. Yeah. His lyrics are definitely more, I don't know. I feel like in that like same vein and also Kathleen Hanna, she's the one who came up with the name smells like teen spirit. Right, because that graffiti Kurt smells like teen spirit thing that she did. I like that he just didn't know what it was. I was like, okay, cool. Kurt, not paying attention. (laughs) Right. Maybe no one was in those days. I don't know. I don't pretend to know what kind of cool scene they had going on in Olympia. Oh, me neither. I mean, I was alive, but I was (laughs) very, you know, not aware of that at the time (laughs) see i'm 30 about to turn 31 so by the time i ever got to seattle it was already like really tech and obsessed and everything Uh, yeah it's just not the same area yeah i i actually was fortunate enough i i went there um the first time i was in seattle was in 1998 so it was still even though it was the end of the nineties, it was still had that sort of like nineties Seattle vibe. And, uh, yeah, I actually, yeah. Yeah. And I went to, um, 
this uh, to a record store there that I and I bought, and this is like maybe the most you know '90s Pacific Northwest thing I could have possibly done. The two albums I bought were actually uh, Bikini Kill. They had just released the singles as like the one you know CD or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I bought that, and I bought Elliot Smith's Either Or. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was my, oh, those were my Seattle album purchases. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't actually get a chance to buy any albums when I was in Seattle, but I did find a really cool anarchist bookstore. Oh, awesome. So I got a few books from there, and a few of them were actually part of the actual lit scene that we're in now, so fuck yeah. Oh, very cool. I also went to try and find, like, the original Starbucks, and that was very underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I could see how it would be. I was pretty excited because I love coffee, um, if you don't know that about me. I think everyone else in the world does. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking, drinking coffee Starbucks right, now, so. right now. Yeah, and my cat's name is Starbucks, and she's sitting next to me, so there, there's a vibe happening. But yeah, it was like a pilgrimage I made. And then I was like, what the fuck? This is so boring. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Do you travel a lot? Um, I mean, not not recently. Um, I mean, well, with COVID and everything. But also just like with since I've had kids, especially since I my second one was born, it's just gotten a lot harder to travel you know we've done some like little family trips and stuff but um I used to travel like basically the decade of my of my 20s was you know I traveled a lot so I miss that decade too and I'm just fresh out of it it was a good yeah I can imagine traveling with kids would suck like I'm sure it's fun for them, but it seems like it's a hassle a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it is fun. Like it's fun when you get to like the places where you're going, but like in the car for a number of hours with small children can get like, uh, so I have 11 nieces and nephews, so I know, I know it could be a headache, but yeah. do you even get to go to like concerts or anything anymore? Like that seems like it'd be a bit of a bitch too. Not, I mean, definitely not as much as I used to, but no, I mean, I still managed to make it. I mean, I really haven't done anything since the pandemic started. I mean, I just started going to like, you know, like art museums again, like, (laughs) but no, I mean, I, you know, I would say I get to like a handful of like local, you know, or area, you know, bands shows, um, in, in, in a regular year. And then maybe like a bigger known, you know, a bigger act like once a year. So what was the last act you've seen? Um, the last big act I saw was, uh, actually, I guess it's not actually once a year. Um, but, um, on my, um, 
I saw Patty Smith um, at her birthday show in Chicago in 2016. And that was really cool because it was her 70th birthday. And the next day was my 35th birthday. So, because I was born on New Year's Eve. That's so cool. I was yeah. born on 9-11. Oh. <laughs> but, wow. It's, Happy it's almost birthday. Yeah, thanks. It's been a while since you've been <laughs> to, like, a big concert. Yeah, it has, actually, now that I think about it. She was my last concert, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, she did Riot awesome. Fest. Oh, cool. Yeah. But, no, she's awesome. Yeah. Definitely love Patty. Probably one of my biggest influences. You read her books? So, yeah. What's your favorite? Yeah, I think Um, I think M Train. Really? Uh, yeah. See, I'm obsessed yeah, with Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I I like M Train better than just kids. It feels like personal somehow. I mean, kids I feel like you know, there's like there's some kind of like, you know, emotional distance there, which I understand based on the subject matter, mm-hmm. but it just didn't like, for that reason, it just doesn't quite grab me as much. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love that one and own it, but you know, <laughs> there is no way you could like make me upset based on like what you dig or don't dig. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to actually think if there is anything I could actually judge you on that I would never forgive you about. No, unless you say you're really into like redneck country music, then I mm, think no, good. yeah, that's very much not. I, I like a lot of old school country and modern alt country and stuff, but yeah, like the mainstream current country is like, yeah, yeah. you know, mm, not my jam. <laughs> <laughs> It's also to put it mildly and everything to like the working class crowd and everything. They don't even understand how much they're being pandered to. It, it's sad. Really. Right. Yeah. I actually, I saw there was a lot of folk music on your playlist. What do you think? Yep. Like wh- where does that line go between folk and country? What do you think? It, it, it is so hard to define it. I've, I've like tried to, I mean, I, I feel like some of it maybe has to do with instrumentation, but again, that's not, you know, a clear cut divide because you could have a banjo and a folk song and in a country, you know, and then you get into the other areas that kind of also overlap like bluegrass and blues. And like, there's just all these things that are distinct, but you know, like Venn diagram, I guess, you know, there's places where they all come together. Um, I really don't know how I would, I feel like. So more like subject matter or. I don't even know about that because I think about like, like murder ballads, say for instance, which are folk music, but a lot of country singers, you know, did either renditions of you know traditional ones or wrote their own Mm -hmm. you know so i don't know if it's entirely subject matter 
Um, it's 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 one of those weird things where you know if I hear a song, I could say whether I think it's folk or co- more folk or more country. But to just try and come up with a definition like out of thin air is a little tricky. It it really is. I mean, I'm trying to be like, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's almost like a tradition to folk, almost. Yeah. Like where it feels more tied to like the area, but then again, I guess country is too. Yeah. What the fuck makes a song a folk song? That's gonna bother me all day. <laughs> yeah, that that's a a huge question. Like. You know, especially with because I mean, for everything you can say, oh, I mean, you know, you could say like a folk song is played acoustically, but then there are like definitely people who have done electric folk songs, you know, and they're still very, yeah, I don't know. Like, I wonder, like, okay, country probably has like more like steel guitar stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. And like heavy drums, I think. Fuck it. I don't and, listen and to enough country to really know. I feel like maybe there's often more of like a. I don't know. <laughs> like a upbeat type of thing. Like, not to say that all folk is sad. I just mean. Yeah, I. No, I don't there's know if I'm right there either. A little bit. With the yeah. Folk. Whereas if it is a sad country song, you still vibe it's very country, and you kind of almost have like a upbeatness to the sad, if that makes right. Sense. Like I can dance even while I'm crying type thing. Whereas <laughs> folk can be more just like just light up a yes. cigarette and drink a cup of black coffee and hate yourself. <laughs> oh. Now, now I'm just like, for some reason you said that. I'm like, Leonard Cohen. I've <laughs> no, I, I no, I mean, I adore, Dylan, but all right. Oh, well, you know, it works. It works either way. I mean, actually, I don't know as they really, either one would really hate themselves, but, or, you know. Yeah. I mean, but, I think really oh. it's just the kind of music you do it. Like it gets inside your head a lot. Like it almost like hits you like internally a lot more. Yeah, but, you know, then I can think of, yeah. Oh, no, go on. No, I I can think of, you know, some country songs that, you know, that I would definitely consider country that that I feel, you know, in the same way. But I I suppose I I think I get what you're saying, because I think like um, folk is more like, yeah, it gets into your head. And I feel like I can kind of it's like a. A melancholy you can relax into, you know, like, (laughs) like it's like, it's, it's almost like a good melancholy. Like I'm thinking about people like, you know, Cohen or Dylan and just like how I could just like sit and listen to an entire album and like, you know, just get in that, like that, that sad vibe, but sad in a good way. (laughs) I don't know. This is the best, like, music podcast ever of us just fucking around trying to figure out what makes a genre a genre. Because <laughs> then it even, That's like, it's not by, a... like, how you were saying that, like, you did lo-fi. It's like, what, what really is that? Like, 
Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I record stuff alone in my bedroom with a four-track cassette recorder, so I would say it's definitely lo-fi, but, <laughs> like, yeah. other than that, nowadays it's a little, you know, a little trickier to find that because most people record digitally to begin with, so what makes it lo-fi if you're using like high-tech equipment, even if, you know, yeah. Oh, now we're just, so in the next half hour, define trying to define different music genres. See, oh. it's chill. Oh, I was going to say, I actually like go on YouTube occasionally and look up lo-fi, and a lot of it is actually kind of like uh, SoundCloudy sounding music that has almost like a mm. beat, and it's like, what is making this lo-fi? Like, I don't get it. Yeah. I, like, maybe that they just changed don't. changed the like genre? I, I think so. I, I mean, I always, I, I always used to think of lo-fi as like the quality of the recording, like not the kind of music I was making, but like, you know, it was like lo-fi versus hi-fi. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah. So it like it, it was not it was never a genre consideration. I don't think until fairly recently, you know. I feel like it's becoming a pretty catch-all term that people just kind of throw in, and it sounds like a little edgier to be like, yeah, I do lo-fi. Right. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So why do you have so much folk music on the playlist you sent me? Um. Well, the playlist I sent you it was like, like I said, I I have a I like so much music that it's really fucking difficult to narrow it down at all. Um, so I was just going for stuff that I, you know, feel like has definitely influenced my writing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and I guess a lot of folk music, I mean, some of it's, you know, definitely like lyrically, I feel like a lot of folk singers, you know, singer-songwriters do tend to have like the more you know, poetic type lyrics because often in folk, and maybe that's another difference, at least for the type of folk we're talking about, um, like between that and country is that like, there's a lot of like, you know, the focus is on like the singer songwriter and their words and their voice, as opposed to necessarily a, a you know, a full band or something. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they don't ever have bands around them, but, you know, so I think that's why a lot of folk ended up on there. But also I, I like a lot of, I was talking about murder ballads before, like any sort of really, really old folk tune that's just like, you know, no one knows who wrote it because, you know, someone first wrote it down in the 1700s in England, but, you know, and then it traveled, you know, I, I get really inspired by stuff like that too. Um, just the sort of, you know, is the oral tradition of storytelling, except it's in like song form. And, and also a lot of the stories in those really old folk songs are like really haunting and, you know, beautiful even if in a macabre way and so and because they're so old and there's so many variations and no one knows who wrote them it's also easy to sort of take that inspiration and like work it into you know 
something I'm writing, say, you know, it's a inspiration that so many other people have already shared. So it's kind of like just out there in the ether. <laughs> Do you listen to music before you write or like during? Um, not, not necessarily always either. I usually actually, when I'm writing, I'm hearing the lyrics, um, or I, you know, start unwittingly like putting some of the lyrics in there, like not even as a purposeful reference, but it's just like, Oh, (laughs) you know, I heard that. So I'd say like my inspiration from music with lyrics comes more just from my general listening habits. And then if I listen to music when I'm writing, it's um, usually instrumental or, you know, I can sometimes listen to music with lyrics if they're, if the lyrics, you know, if it's being sung in a language that I don't speak, because then I'm not, you know, trying to pay as much attention to what's being said because I wouldn't understand it anyway. So I'm imagining it's not K-pop for you. Not so much. I mean, you know, no, uh, no shame to anybody who's into that, but that is definitely not like one of my main genres. Damn, you just let down the entire Gen Z crowd that aren't listening. I know. To this. Oh, I know. All the Zoomers are like going to be like, uh, cancel you or something. I don't know. What yeah, I <laughs> be like, how dare yes. someone not listen to K-pop? I, I offended my niece who loves K-pop because, like, she's like, "Well, what band do you like?" And I was just like, "Shit, I'm just trying to relate to you, BTS." And she's like, "They're hardly <laughs> K-pop." And I was like, eh, "What the fuck are they then?" Yeah, they're the only they're they are actually the only like K-pop adjacent band that I could even name, you know. I like recently went to her room just like the other day to help her move out cuz she's going to college and like wall to wall it's just all K-pop and I was like, "See, you love BTS." And she's like, "No, that's not them." And I was like, <laughs> "Fuck." And she's like, these are like five different bands. And I was like, they all look and dress the same, man. I mean, I guess it's no different than like, you know, 90s US and England, like boy bands. I mean, they all were pretty cookie cutter, (laughs) you know. I, I actually back then, because by the time that like, you know, it was like the NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and all that, like, days um i had some just slightly younger cousins who were into that but i was you know offended uh some of my cousins by not knowing you know all the names of the the 90s band members or like what um like what specific bands they were in and you know and they're like how can you not know that and i'm just they're like how can you not know l7 (laughs) (laughs) You know, now that like you're saying it, I I could totally forgive my niece for being upset at me because I I would have been that way. I think like I knew the difference between the boy bands, but I, I doubt my sister would have. Right. Like they all look the same now in hindsight when I look at it. Like, right. Backstreet Boys and Sync. I think they even had the same manager. Did they? I mean, yeah, they did, and they dressed. Kind of, I don't know. They all just sort of blended. Like, I never knew any of their names, I don't, I don't think, or knew who went with what name until 
some of them went on to do like solo careers then you know but when they were when really only justin timberlake uh yeah yeah basically sadly but i mean i am not immune to the the boy band thing i just want everyone to know that when i in the in the late 80s uh I was very, very into New Kids on the Block, so. <laughs> I love that yeah. you just keep naming, like, really cool shit. That was actually one of my first concerts. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I, I, I'm so jealous because, <laughs> no, no, I mean, not not now, but, like, I would have been at the time because I never actually got to see them in concert. My sister, who's about your age, she's the one who took me to see them because mm. she was supposed to be babysitting me, and that happened. <laughs> It was one of those things where, like, if she was supposed to be watching me and something was going on that she really wanted to do, even though it wasn't appropriate for me to go with, she's like, whatever, just don't tell. <laughs> uh, I'm an only child, so I did not have that. Stick around to hear Jesse read from some of their favorite work. And this is an older poem. I wrote it in 2017, and it appears... And my newest book, Wisconsin Death Trip. This poem's called KHCP. We weren't kicked out of our houses. We were let loose, left to roam, left to haunt the basements and garages. We didn't run away from our families. We just sort of floated like ghosts in the cabbage fields, cornfields, in the basements and garages. Our parents didn't hate us. They just sort of didn't know what to do with our anger and sorrow and lust, so they left us to our own devices. Or they were too busy with their own rage and sadness, so we tried to build our own homes in the basements and garages. But we brought all that brutality, all that destruction with us, cemented it into the fucking foundation because our blueprints were a testament to dysfunction. And we sang, We're a Happy Family, Huddled together, sniffing glue and snorting speed in our basement and garage land. Started bands that only lasted for one day with distorted guitars, half-broken drum kits, and bassists with no sense of rhythm. We fucked on sofas belching stuffing and springs. These things hooked themselves to our nerve endings and to this day a damp of whiff mildew, a sharp gust of gasoline turns us the fuck on. Made plywood skate ramps in suburban driveways, skinned knees, broke bones. We drank cases and cases and circles and marathons of Blue Ribbon, High Life, Milwaukee's Beast. Listened to D-beat records and slammed into each other. It was all about slamming the beer, the sex, the hardcore, anything that could bruise the blues out of us and into someone, anyone else. Sometimes we made jokes about suicide. We were only half joking about the gun in the basement, the exhaust pipe in the garage. Our laughter choked us. We didn't so much want to die. We wanted to escape the crash course trajectory of our town. Get off the shit job growing old path. Get out of our basement and garage tombs. We emerged into suburban dusks, a gang of filthy kids. We lurked in the downtown of boarded-up windows, spray-painted slogans, baseball bats swinging. We smashed trash cans and cracked the skulls of Nazi skins, anything to bruise the blues. We drove down county roads in the summer dark, parked in the middle of nowhere. We did it in cornfields while nighthawks swooped and hollered their electric paint 
our mating song. We wandered tiny old graveyards, spooked, but too tough to admit it. Got stoned in the fetid rows of cabbage fields. See us come and throw the fog into the fracture between night and dawn. Then back to the basement, back to the garage. And yes, that was all so long ago. It's just a legend, a ghost story. And here I am growing older despite those teenage stabs at living fast. And I know one day I'll die here in the homeland. So... Let it be known, old friends, if you're reading this, you sad drunk hoodlums better give me a Viking's funeral. Build a raft of plywood and beer cans. Use punk picnic flyers torn from basement walls for kindling. Douse it all with the gas can nicked from the garage and flick your lit cigarettes onto my corpse until whoosh. Push the pyre out onto Lake Michigan. Watch me burn the way we all did once until I'm nothing but an after image seared behind your eyes. Tell the next generation of kids about me and the one after that so when they creep out of the basements and garages to haunt the town, they'll see the red gold flash of sunrise on the horizon over the lake and say, it's that old lady, that ghost girl, that legend, and say, look at that motherfucker who finally escaped the basements and garages. This is a very new poem. The boys, waiting, petaled gloaming. After John Dugdale's photograph, Empire Chair in the gloaming. The boys are dying like the daylight. The boys are beautiful, dying like a vase of cut sunflowers, heavy petaled heads drooping on wearied neck stems, shedding their skins like white nightshirts, hanging them on the backs of doors which lead to empty bedrooms. The gloaming lays its weird bruised sheen, its yellow-purple glow over everything. A chair is not a lover, has no arms, but a chair, like a lover, can hold you. A chair, like a lover, is for waiting, like the chair where I sat in the long apartment afternoons, a few moments to sketch a constellation of dust motes before my boyfriend came home and found his daily reason to berate me the same chair where he later sat to break us apart. He was tired of waiting, tired of not being handy enough to fix my heavy sorrows. Not lovers nor chairs can be relied on to repair anything. Though you can mend a chair with nails and glue, and for a love, a boy, that will never do. Like the chair where I sat when they told me S was dead unglued from complications of untreated HIV and bipolar disorder, and he'd quit lithium cold, sudden. And he'd always had a mouth on him, so when hassled by a cop for riding his bike on the sidewalk, he jumped off, bike chain clutched and scabbed fists. Come at me, pig. One little piggy became two, became three. They smeared his face into twilight, his mouth a wet bruise, teeth carpeting the filthy pavement like petals, loves me, loves me not. Like the child-sized chair where I sat stoned and soaked, listening to the heavy down pour through the ripped screen, drops bucket drumming on roofs and rushing through gutters. The lovers were waiting for the party to start. Where are the bridge house boys? Someone asked. Where are all the boys? All the boys are drooping their sunflowered heads in the flooded gutters. 
All the boys are homeless and they're waiting for the rain to let up. And outside the window, the lights blurring, smeared petals in the gloaming streets. And beyond the streets, the empty bedrooms, the fields. All right, that was Jesse Lynn McMaines. Check out their work that I spoke about in the beginning of the show. Also take a look at RecklessChance.com to see more of their work. You can find Jesse on Twitter at RustBeltJesse. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at PodHealing and take a look at our website, TextualPodcast.com. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show.